Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. G'day everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast once again. My name is Matt Walsh, I'm joined by colleague Jake Michaels and champion darters Christian Jolly. And we're here to chat all things footy as we are every Tuesday. Heap to get to today, we might touch on booing. We'll explore where Carlton's at, take a look at uh, accuracy once again, and get to some of your questions, including about Josh Dunkley's ratings points. Mm. Jake, how are you going this fine Tuesday Melbourne morning? Uh, going well. Uh, everyone in the office, though, talking about the weather. So, you know, uh, it is boring, but you know you know, it's uh, not great when you get to round eight and then you actually, or round nine now, and you walk out to walk to the train station and... Just getting rained on. Bit of not a, fun a in Melbourne. Constant mist, isn't it? Yeah. Not even that. Well, it's not hard. It's just this constant mist of rain. But it was pretty poor weather over the weekend, but a good crowd, 70,000 plus for Collingwood and Sydney. I thought that was really, really good on Sunday afternoon. Some good crowds, some poor crowds over the last few weeks, which you are always, you're always keen to point out. Mm. Um, well, why wouldn't you turn up if you're a Collingwood fan? Yeah, playing good footy. Uh, before we get cracking, Christian, something from the weekend that you noticed? Um... Yeah, probably something I'll probably try to get in early. A flag that they could we see an umpire shortage. So two games on the Sunday, Razor Ray, um, I think injured or you know tweaked his back. I think doing a centre bounce in the third quarter, and it looked he was grimacing. And we were we were as a capture crew sort of going, well, what happens here if they take the umpire off? Do they have a, another fourth umpire to come on? They don't have any emergency umpires anymore. So don't they? He lasted the game. So you know, heart and soul effort by Razor Ray to last the game, but. The later game on the Sunday, St Kilda North Melbourne. I uh, can't remember the exact umpire that pulled out, but one of the umpires was a late exclusion from that game. So I don't know if anyone noticed, but they umpired that game with three umpires only. Really? Um, so they didn't have a replacement for him. And I just thought, well, two umpire injuries in the same week. Um, and we're already got down to, you know, round eight, and we've got one game with three umpires umpiring the mm. game. I wonder how many more games we'll see this year like that. Do you? I know you track players' data, but do you track umpire data? How, how far are these guys running? No, well... Again, we I've got the access to the AFL players. I don't know. I know the umpires are wearing their GPS units, but we don't have access to that. We yeah, yeah we track. It'd be yeah. tough to ask umpires to back it up if you if you're umpiring say the Friday night game and then saying, oh, "Look, we need you to do the Sunday as well." They were be an doing. Emergency. I could be wrong, but I feel like that was happening a bit more they're, during. They're, they're trying the, to do that, and I think it was more of a Thursday slash Sunday. You could do it, right. um, and that was the whole point of having four umpires. And I think during the buy rounds, we've seen them increase the umpires sort of just to allow them to do that. Another but I did. I, I always remember a fact, and I, I heard this probably 10, 15 years ago. So maybe it's changed, but to be even a sort of. Um, considered for an umpire, you had to run a certain time in the three kilometre oh, yeah. time trial, which apparently would have got you in the top, into the top 5% of the AFL competition. So they had to run as good as the top 5% of the competition, which to me, I think helps create an umpire. Like, why do they need to run so mm. far to be able to well, appreciate the game? Well, you probably don't know if there's an extra umpire out yeah, there. Yeah, whether they've changed it or not. But yeah, that that to me seemed like they were sort of asking a lot from the umpires to be athletes and... Got to be the hardest makers. sport to officiate, not just because of how array a lot of the rules are but purely from the physical um the physical side of it as well yeah it would be tough well who was the umpire that umpired his 450th simon meredith simon meredith i think i was listening to an interview with him uh last week before the the match that he umpired and he was saying that the introduction of the fourth umpire might help him go another season or two yeah i will it probably does like to that point before um yeah i imagine you you do run less because we hope so yeah, yeah. jake um I know we're going to talk about Josh Dunkley shortly, but something that caught my eye after his game was, and it's this is kind of crazy that this is only the eighth time it's happened since, I'm sure Christian might be able to tell us, but since 2008 at least, I don't know how far back if 2008 was the first time, but the rare quadruple double. So <laughs> 10 plus kicks, handballs, marks and tackles. It's just the eighth time it's happened. So he, he did that on Friday night against uh, the Blues. Uh, Carl Amon did it last year against Gold Coast. He had 16 kicks, 10 handballs, 10 marks, 10 tackles. But you'd think that would happen a bit more than it does. Yeah, the marks and tackles would be hard. 10 marks and 10 tackles don't usually go hand in hand mm. together. You usually play different, two game different styles. roles. Mm. So it's interesting. We always throw up what is a triple double, what's a quadruple double in yeah. AFL. You, you can't sort of, you know, you can't have clearances and contested possessions in your triple double they because hand usually, hand. Yeah, yeah. usually they sort of. Uh, line up with each other but yeah that's an interesting one to look at not a bad one well, um, dunks. <laughs> well we were going to actually have this a bit later on but we might as well bring it up now while we're talking about Dunkley but a few eagle-eyed uh, listeners and people all over social media took uh, exception to the fact that Josh Dunkley played a great game on Friday night it was very good very good blanketed Cripps had his own ball yep. um, was was pro- three votes you're the Brownlow man yeah I think 
pretty comfortably. I mean, it wasn't just the... There was the element of be, of keeping Cripps relatively quiet um, and then working off him. And like I said, he, he was tackling. He was all over the ground taking marks. Um, had plenty of the ball. It, it was fantastic. So let's just say he gets the three Brownlow votes. He's only yep. getting 2.4 more ratings points for that match than he would Brownlow votes if he gets all three. And so some people took exception because they thought, what an excellent game. Surely that has to be one of the higher ratings points games that we've seen for a year. Firstly, Christian, I'm going to get you to explain yourself in a second. But firstly, I guess, how are ratings points calculated and what are they, first of all, just as a refresher to the listeners? Yep, so rating points is, it's uh, it's an equity rating uh, measurement of AFL. So basically where you have the where you win the ball and where you get the ball to, it takes that into account, field position, um, you know, what, what pressure you're under when you, you're using the ball, who you're kicking to, what type of space they were in, et cetera, et cetera. So it incorporates ball use, ball winning, but it also looks at tackles and intercept possessions and smothers and all the other little things that make up a game, hit outs and all the things. So... The good thing about player ratings, it, it turns into you know one magic number for a player at the end of the game, and and I'm the same. We sit there with the formulas set. It's uh, you know all, all works in, works in the back end. And I can watch Josh Dunkley game as a champion data employee, see the ratings, just go, how does that happen? Right. What that's got to be wrong. And it, I even made the comment that sometimes I feel like ratings is too smart for itself. Um, but then yeah, digging through the numbers, and and again, you find out the reason why. So he had 22 kicks across the game. 15 of those actually got him negative rating points. So that's based on how he was winning it and where he was getting it to was actually losing equity value. So again, an equity rating is basically who's going to score next. Mm. So from what you're doing, are you more likely to score next to where so you're So are they the turnovers? Are they kicking cetera, backwards cetera. to your yeah, own team? so mate? some of them might... No, they won't all be turnovers. So some of them could be kicking backwards. So you've got a handball receive sort of, you know, 65 out from goal and you end up kicking it sideways and it ends up 70 metres from goal, you'll get negative 0.1. So it's not a huge loss, yeah, but you won't but get any positive rating points. So the thing with, and again, we do have two magic numbers, rankings and ratings, which mm. are sort of two different measures. The one for me is ratings is is really about where the ball is moving to and what's happening next. So unfortunately with ratings, some of the players that get the ball a lot, you have more opportunities to lose points, if that makes sense, because you're just trying to sort of hit an outlet uh, sideways or short or backwards and things just to relieve your team. So it's a good it's a good single move when you're out in the field, but rating points looks at it and says, well, overall you've actually contributed negative one to this chain because you took the ball backwards. So yeah. as I said, yeah, he had 15 kicks. Um, uh, sorry, 22 kicks, 15, which were in the negative. So that was negative 7.7 points that he got just from his kicking. Um, if you add in his handballs, he lost 0.9 from handballs as well. So that's 8.6 or negative 8.6. Pretty stiff. Just from his ball use. So again, that's the third worst ball use game we've seen this year. Um, but then again, you look at the when he was winning the ball, he, he got 15 rating points from his ability to win the ball, which sort of puts him in the top 30 or 40 of games this year, which put him in, in the elite category. So... Yeah, all these rating points would come from winning the ball, but it's just what he was doing with it now. So he was comfortably in the bottom half of the entire game. That's crazy. So players like Noah Answorth were above him, which is a bit strange. Um, and then you look at like the, the top player ratings points from the weekend. So Marcus Bontepelli, 20.6 was the highest. Liberatore, Clayton Oliver, um, Noah Anderson was up there, Charlie Curnow. Um, so, like... Oh, sorry, this is average for the, for the Charlie, year. My I was about to say Charlie Kerno. Uh, my apologies. No, so yeah, so if you're averaging 20, like you're, you're playing really well. But for a bloke to have such impact or what we perceive as impact on the ground yeah. um, and only get a 5.4 did sort of, yeah, it was like, hmm, that's a bit unusual. I guess one part, and I don't know if this is factored into the formula, and if, and if it is, I don't know how it would be done, but a key part of what made his game so impressive is what he was able to do uh, defensively on Crips. How do you, how can you possibly factor that into the formula? Yeah, we've always struggled with that. So as I said, we we do track defensive acts or so a tackle in the you know in the forward line or the back line's worth different, a smother here and there, spoils and all that. But the whole of trying to track nothing of just Dunkley being able to stand next to Crips and take the option away of okay. Hewitt wasn't able to handball at Cripps because Dunkley was next to him. We can, we can watch that. Yeah. We can say, well, it was good positioning there, but we can't measure that on mm. a rating points or a ranking point scale. So it is something. It's yeah. a big part of the game is sort of tongue-in-cheek. It's like, how do you measure nothing? It, it, something Sometimes nothing is valuable, but mm. how do we measure that consistently? We just... So you don't get a stat for that. So the commentators are finally right. <laughs> so the top player for the week was Noah Anderson, 25.8 uh, ratings points. Gun. So... I mean, by the numbers, almost five times better than Dunkley's game, which is just interesting. Just well, one of the quirks of the system, isn't it? He and, was, and, and he again, was very good. I don't know five <laughs> times better, but he was very good. And, and we always say with that measure, I think, you know, what is there's 400 players or so on a weekend, there's always going to be two or three, you know, scores that are obviously too high 
according to the eye or too low according to the eye. This is one of the scores. But again, so it's it's one of those games where, yeah, it might not line up on three Brownlow votes, but a very low ratings game. But again, once you look at all the games that we cover across the year, I think generally I come out pretty happy with where ratings are. Fair enough. Uh, something I noticed, we're going to stick with Gold Coast, speaking of Noah Anderson. Yeah. But his teammate, Matt Rao, mm. good friends, of course. Uh, some mate. vision emerged over the weekend. Very strange vision. <laughs> yeah, I know where you go with this, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just it was warming up before the game against the D's on, on Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, getting a feel for the turf, maybe just getting some some stickiness on his hands from the, the grass and the condensation or whatever. And then um, just picks up some, some grass and puts it in his mouth and starts chewing. Yeah, as you do. When was the last time you would have eaten grass, Jake? You asked me this before we started, and I actually... You, well, you said, have you ever eaten grass? And I said, surely I've eaten grass at some point in my life. But yeah. can't say I've done it as an adult, at least that I'm aware of. Um, Are we missing out? What's the... Yeah, he... Love Matty Rowell, gun player. I think he copped a bit of criticism for a bit of a drop-off because he was on track after five weeks to be the greatest player in the history of the sport, and people just expected <laughs> that traje- him to keep going on that trajectory. But... He, he's really bounced back in a great way, but he does seem to be a bit of a weird unit, I reckon. So my my theory is he he's eating grass because and he's the so he's the the number one tackler in the competition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe he's just eating grass because that's what he does to all his opponents, makes them eat grass. Is there something in that? I don't no, know. It's a stretch. <laughs> oh, a stretch. Anyway, that was just something I thought that was a bit uh, bit interesting and worth mm. drawing attention to. He was good though. Sure. He was very good. He was very good. Uh, the Blues. Now, we Speaking talk about them a little bit because they are quite topical this season. I think yeah. when you couple the expectation of what we expect from this club, the end of the season they had last year where they sort of really imploded with four games to go when they looked like they were going to make finals. It was an ending which you'd think would really... Galvanise? You know, yeah, it, it's a real punch in the face. It does galvanise you in the off-season and then you come back and you have a... Dom- not a dominant, but you play really well. And it's just been same old story with the Blues. What when you watch them play, mm. and this is open to the floor, I can't set, get a sense of what their actual game plan is because no. you'll see what they they do for one quarter or for ten minute patches, and then they'll do com- something completely different for the next you know ten minute patch here or there, and you know they'll they'll look to move the ball quickly off half back through the corridor, quick kick and mark, quick kick and mark, and then they'll chip it around the back line looking to switch, and then go well there are no options, so we're just going to bomb it long. Yeah. There's just no recognisable style at the moment, and they seem to be suffering, and it seems like the players don't they, they really know confused. what they're trying to be doing. Yeah, they seem confused. And the other part of it is, and, and this is particularly through the midfield, I th- for all the top-end talent that you know we, we know is there, and, and there are a lot of great players, it, it, there's some really poor ball users in the, in the Carlton midfield, both by foot and hand. And we saw it against Brisbane just turnover after turnover and it was like it's so costly especially when a team can go and just punish you yes we were talking about against St Kilda a few weeks back or yeah whenever it was um the way in which Carlton had so much of the ball as soon as they turned it over Saints straight back down the other end and would score so that to me is a massive problem um you know you look in the forward line we 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 see uh Harry Mackay Charlie Kernow kind of don't seem to be really on the same page Flying for the same, flying for the contest. same marks, getting in each other's sort of lanes, and mm. I don't know. They, it just they don't seem to be the the team as a whole. And you look at in the, each of the different zone, but they they look confused. And I I, I know that sounds like a, a kind of a lazy take on it, but they do look like there's they're not following a particular game style because we see things change from one week to the next. You talk about turnovers uh, and and just the lack of good ball users through halfback and, mm. and the middle, especially against the Lions. The Lions did punish them. Yeah, so on the Friday night, Brisbane scored 85 points from turnovers. Yeah. So they only scored 100 for the game. So 85 of those, you know, so basically the clearance game and kick-in game was non-existent for Brisbane. So 85 points they kicked from turnovers. If you look at the teams that have conceded 85 points from turnovers this season, North Melbourne, Hawthorne, West Coast and Carlton mm. are the only four teams. To and, and, all, and the vast majority of those turnovers, at least my eye told me, it was it was just after, or just past halfway. Yeah, it was so from halfway well, towards the, the 50 mark. They had 30, 30 back half turnovers, yeah. so um, that was the second most in a game this year. So yeah, that's turning the ball over in Brisbane's forward Which half. So there's two parts to that. One, which means you're obviously struggling to get it to retain possession going forward. But then if they're going that that distance, over 100 metres, 140 metres sometimes, all the way up the other end and scoring. And mm. so the def- defense, defensively, it's really poor as well. So it's not what we expected, I think, any of us from Carlton this year. It's certainly not what I expected. I thought Carlton would be challenging for a top four finish. And now, you know, with the fixture coming up, top four could be completely out of the question by the bye. Um, and even finals could be 
could be sort of a, a coin flip. So interesting comments from Adam Chera, who fronted the media yesterday, basically said that it wouldn't be a failure if Carlton didn't make finals this year. Is that reading the room well? If I'm a Carlton supporter and I'm hearing that, I am pretty disappointed. Yeah, I am. I, I, I agree with you. Um, it is a failure. Last year, I, I think I remember you, Christian, was sort of saying you weren't overly disappointed that Carlton didn't make finals because you thought we weren't ready a, yet. Yeah, I see things more of a two-year, three-year window. You don't just yeah. get there straight away. Which is fair enough. But then, we're okay, we're in now into that next year. So what happens now? If Carlton were to finish 10th or 11th or 12th, it's a step in the wrong direction. I'm sorry, but it is. You, mm. I don't think anyone at the club, any of the supporter, any supporter would be happy with that. So Bulldogs this week, Collingwood the week after that. Uh, I think Sydney up in Sydney following that one, and then the Demons and then the, the Bombers and then the Bombers. So Who, five weeks. So, Carlton Carl could easily be underdogs in all five of those games if they keep losing, uh, especially. You might look at maybe an opportunity Sydney. Sydney uh, aren't going great, but, but Sydney will Essendon. Sydney will have some players back by then, and then Essendon is always well, you know, Carlton Essendon is always a, a, a big game. So, but I would not be surprised if Carlton won four through that stretch going into the bye. Mm, interesting. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on the Blues in coming weeks. Uh, they are playing the Swans at some point in the next few weeks, and just speaking of the Swans mm. on Sunday, a bit of chat and a bit of discussion, and it's kind of blown up a bit uh, with the booing that was involving. Uh, Lance Franklin uh, and Tom Papley at times and, and the Collingwood supporters. As we said, 70,000 Collingwood fans in the house on Sunday made their voices known. Mm. Uh, the AFL, Sydney and Collingwood all came out yesterday, late yesterday, with statements saying it's it's a bit bizarre to boo a champion and we probably shouldn't be doing this. Sydney made pretty specific reference to the fact that, you know, we've seen we've been down this path before with booing especially Indigenous champions yep. that played for Sydney. Um, it seems to be a little bit more complex than that. Having listened to some a fair bit of talk back, uh, there's a bit happening around this, and it's it's always an it's an interesting conversation because every single person is going to have a different opinion on this. Mm. I booed him because of this. I didn't boo him because of this. I did this and the other. Why are we booing Adam, um, Adam Goods? Why are we booing Lance Franklin to begin with? Well, it's a good question, and I don't think <laughs> there's a bit of that in Australian sport, and I think we saw it with. I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head. I feel like we saw this with Gary Ablett, didn't we? Like towards the end of his career. Well, I was going to say the same thing. So. The, the booing to me, and why are we booing Lance Franklin, the AFL supporters or VFL supporters, whatever you want to call them, football supporters, have been booing champions of the game since I was a kid. And I remember going on the footy and hearing it for Tony Lockett, yeah. Wayne Carey, Nathan Buckley, Matthew Richardson copped it a fair bit, and everyone loved Richo. Yeah. But it was just the... It's the, you're so great, good. you don't play yeah. for my team, so I'm booing And it you. was the only... And, and it was sort of, you know, trying to put him off the game or something. But it was just... It, it was never, yeah, it was never a headline at the end of the day. Mm. And I know what's happened since, and we've had some racial vilification with some of the booing and things like that. But yeah. the champions of the game being booed, it's always happened. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, I'm probably old fashioned that I grew up with it, and I don't, I don't see it as a huge problem. I, I don't go to the football. I wouldn't go and boo yeah. a player. But I also look at it and go, it's happened. It's been happening for thirty years. Mm. It's not a new thing for me. It's just that's what happens. Different to circumstances. Of the but game. Jason Horn Francis has been booed this year. We yeah. dare say that um, Tom Stewart is going to cop a few boos. But obviously, yeah, that's and that, more that's different. And they, and they, yeah, I, but I have no issue with North Melbourne fans booing Jason Horn Francis. That's all. That's free game. And same with Tigers fans booing uh, Tom Stewart after what happened last year with. Dion Prestia. There's, I have no issue with that. It's not that I have an issue with booing Buddy Franklin, but I just think there's, there's no need, and especially at this point in his career, where it's like he's clearly not the player he once was. He can still, he can still have a be the best player on the ground in any given quarter. He probably won't play the Colin Collingwood at the MCG again. Might be the last probably chance not. that a I lot think, of those I fans think get to play, see him live. I think Sydney play at the MCG one, one more, more time game. this year. But Collingwood um, fans, they might Colin, not see him again live. Yeah, absolutely not. And who knows? Like you know, we, at this like we've seen, he he has been prone to injury at the back half of his career. He, that could be the last time he ever plays at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. So, okay, here's a question for you. Uh, is it disingenuous to Franklin himself for there to be a claim of, of that it's racially motivated without sort of speaking to him, without sort of understanding what the fans are doing and just sort of almost defaulting to that? I worry that, that defaulting to something like that is just going to incense fans that aren't doing it for that. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to be this sick cycle of yeah, he's I, going to get booed next week and he's going to get booed the week after. Yeah. And it's not that people want, like people don't like being labelled as as 100%. racists. No, you're hundred percent right. And I I you know I'll I'll say it. I don't believe that it is 
racially motivated. I think it's like Christian said, it's your fantastic player. You're one of the greatest players of all time and you don't play for my team and I'm going to boo you. And like I said, I remember it with Gary Ablett towards the end of his career. It's just, it, like I said, it's sad that it happens at the end where it's like, we should be celebrating these guys because Absolutely, yeah. you, know, you look in the, you see it in the other sports too. You know, fans boo Lewis Hamilton in Formula One. They boo LeBron James in basketball. And it's like, cherish these, these athletes because when they're gone, they're gone. And it's Max Verstappen copped it on the weekend yeah. in Miami. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's you know we call it tall poppy syndrome in in Australia, but it, I I really do believe that's what it is. And um the the thing that's I guess probably frustrating fans is whether it whether people want to think it's racial racially motivated or whether that it is like we said it's just booing someone because they're great. We shouldn't be doing either. Yeah. Like well, like I said, there's three statements released on Monday afternoon. Um, probably summed up just mm. celebrate the champions that we have and, and, before they go and let me clarify because I do think there is room in sport particularly AFL uh, for booing and there should be and I'm excited I, I can't wait to hear the, the North fans boo Horn Francis like they should they should give him give it give it to him and same with, with Richmond fans they should be giving it to uh, Tom Stewart but I think there are some things where we kind of draw the line and say do we really need to be booing this guy who's a, one of the great players of all time not to forget the modern era he's one of the greatest players of all time well, how high up is he on the goal kicking list? Well, he'll be fourth, fourth by, time, fourth so by a week or two, I think. So, there you go. Uh, accuracy. We mentioned a few weeks back, April 4, I think it was, for anyone who wants to go back and listen, that we were kind of dwindling near record lows through the first parts of the season for, for accuracy, and especially set shot accuracy. It could, we couldn't do a, a season of this podcast without doing a, a segment on accuracy. Well, there were a few more poor efforts on the weekend. Port, 12-20. Almost squandered it. We talk yeah. about scoring 30 scoring shots and losing and how rare that is. They almost uh, lost that. Uh, is, missing, Sydney... is missing contagious, Christian? <laughs> it, like when, when, when five guys have a shot before you and then you're up, do you feel more pressure? Surely. I, I think so. Like we have to look at the numbers. And we've, we've looked at a few of those for players, you know, if yeah, they start the Max game King with last a behind and a, and a goal. That's but right. I feel like it is a little bit like that. If your team continually misses and then you're up to have the shot next, do you... One, you're Your less likely to take a shot, <laughs> so you're less likely to take a shot. So you get it into some, you know, you try to handle it into the corridor and get yeah. someone under more pressure who just has to throw it on the boot. Yeah, I, I feel like it just builds up in all different ways in terms of the team realizes, oh, Jesus, getting harder and harder for us to kick a goal. But it's also funny because we see it a lot where players miss the the 35 slide angle shot, but then they'll nail the 45 on the boundary, and it's it's all it all is that kind of expectation. Well, no one's expecting me to kick it, so there's no pressure. But when you're 25 out directly in front, so if I miss this, you know they're gonna, everyone's gonna be giving me crap for this for a week. So, well, yeah. So Port Sydney six twelve, North Melbourne St Kilda. The thriller under the dome there was three goals sixteen. Rough, half time. rough first half. Yeah, um, a bit grim. But was it as bad as what the eye test tells us? Uh, so yes. it was. So but, I mean, <laughs> again. So I think we we are a little bit of recency bias in it. But it was the lowest uh, accuracy of the year so the across the round so that's the worst round we've seen um across the first eight weeks um it's the fourth lowest since the start of last year but when you start to chuck in 2016 to 2021 it falls down to about outside the top 40 sort of for the for the least accurate round so it's really not that bad so we've seen accuracy actually come up a little bit since COVID. so 2021 2022 and this year it's sort of on a slight right, not not so much this year. This year it's sort of uh, leveled out, but again, it is the numbers are 2017, 2018 is when it was dire and when we were and when we were at the lowest. Um, but yeah, if you're looking at set shots this week, it was it was again it was the fourth lowest in I think four or five years for set shots alone. Mm. Set shots. I mean, I just feel like you know I watch a bit of training of different clubs here and there, and they there just probably isn't a nut. Like y- you talk about teaching kids when they're young, right? And you're like, oh, you know, if you want to grow up and be a great full forward, you know, you've got to practice thousands of shots and thousands of shots. And yeah. you talk, you know, basketballers, they just take they take free throws and free throws, and they're up around eighty percent or whatever mm. they might be. But I think we we've spoken. I can't remember whether we spoke about this on the podcast a few weeks ago or if it was a, a discussion we had off air, Christian, where we were sort of saying there's been that change in what clubs want now and what you must be able to produce as a footballer. It's it's yes. there's so much midfielders more- are kicking more. Well, kicking. Well, it's running. It's there's so much. It's so much about running and endurance and fitness now, and the the that part of it, the actual scoring. If you, I mean, this is just I have no evidence to base this off, but you you get the sense that someone who is an accurate kick, if you can't run and you can't you can't push up the ground and 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 impact in for additional ways, you're not going to play. 
Yeah, you also don't have Dunstall and Salmon going at it and then being targeted forty times. No, but but how? What would so, Dun- so what they're would... the guys who were paid to kick the goal? Yeah, exactly. But days... what was what what was Dunstall running in a game? Like how many kilometers was Dunstall running in a game? And now I look at like you know what was Ben Ben Brown's like up 15, 16 kilometers. That's a good point. So I mean, yeah, it's it's just a totally different game, and the emphasis now is on. Uh, is on fitness and running and that's whether it's right or wrong and I think again this is my little hope In I think in the last two years the way the game has changed we're seeing kicking come back we're seeing a lot more um, quicker ball movement mm. I think the kickers are going to start getting drafted again um, mm. stoppage players are probably becoming less of a premium there's, there's less of a stoppage game now and those inside beasts are probably not going to be picked up as early as that's interesting. I'm thinking that yeah, in the next two or three years where the game's going you're going to need really really well, good look at kicks. someone like Jordan Dawson who we spoke about a few weeks ago like how the benefit you can have, you know, by being able to put someone who's an elite kick into your midfield who can still win contested ball, um, but then when he does have the ball himself on the outside, will hit a target eight times out of ten, as opposed to, you know, what's the average midfield probably between five and six out of ten. And it's just like so valuable when it's that's your kick that's going inside 50 to set up a shot at goal so yep. I, I agree I think it should be I mean obviously you can't be the best kick in the country but you know I can't run 500 metres but there's got to be a balance I think we've gone too far into this guy can just run you know 20k's and not break a sweat but he can't use the ball to save himself and I feel like there are a few players like that in the comp at the moment that just are in there purely for their running abilities um, not necessarily their football IQ or football skill yeah, fair enough. Hey, you're more than welcome to send through any questions you have throughout the week. You can find mm. us um, at uh, on Twitter at Footy Tips at any time, and a couple of people have done that. Do you ever respond? Well, I always <laughs> take note of this sort of stuff. And we oh, do get good. to it. <laughs> AFL Sharps on Twitter. Essendon lost by five points on the weekend. We spoke about Port squandering mm. a lot of opportunities. Um, they were ha- very accurate. The Bombers. They were. They were ten one the halftime. Yeah, or almost halftime. Essen lost by five points on the weekend, but had an X score loss of 48 points. What are the largest real score to X score differentials recorded? Yep, so that was the biggest one of the year. So again, it wasn't a, a lot of times we look at expected scores and the big changes. We usually look for results changing. Mm. So, you know, Port won, but Essendon should have won. That didn't actually change the result. The result, it was just actually Port were kicking, obviously, inaccurately. Um, and Essendon was so accurate that Port could have run away with the game, but didn't run away with the game. So uh, 38 points, that was the biggest one this year. But I mean... Round three, 2014, was Sydney was the biggest one we've ever seen. So they were plus 84 points uh, in total. So they scored 134 in that game, were expected to score 88. Um, and they conceded 71, but they were expected to score uh, expected to concede 109. So they should have lost that game by 20-odd points. What a weird game. Um, I feel like I need to go yeah, rewatch Again, yeah, so as I said, they were... They were plus 50 in their own accuracy, um, and the opposition was negative 30. was that, 2014? So, 2014, round three, so quite a while ago. Can't remember the that, game off the top of my head. It was just the game that sort of came up when I ran the query. That's a game where you're sort of sitting in the stands, and you're like, geez, they're really kicking these ones out yeah, of their ass, yeah. pulling them out of nowhere. <laughs> Uh, we had another question. It's two minutes till game time. I just found out Toby Green's not playing and wanted to change my tip, but you've locked the tips, claiming the game starts at 7.25 when it starts at 7.30. Eight exclamation points. Give us a free win if we tip GWS because you won't let us change it. Uh, I'm going to answer that one. Not really a question. But, no. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just found that one funny in our mentions. Uh, so do get your tips in early. And if you know mm. that a player's not playing, just change it as quickly as you can because... Well, he was a very late out, though. Well, yeah, he was. Uh, maybe a little bit off topic, but I was home on Saturday night and I noticed on the Foxtel TV guide that comes up when you're changing channels, their start time for the game was 7.32. Oh, that's, That's interesting. It was Super Saturday up until 7.32. It was then at 7.32 was GWS versus and Bulldogs. And it started at 7.32. The AFL's normally pretty yeah, spot normally, on with their start time. But their that's bounces. more like an MLB uh, <laughs> yeah, start time. It was 6.07. <laughs> their run sheet and things, no, nothing had 7.32 on it. So I don't know where that time came from. Another something you've noticed. Speaking, yeah, speaking of something something I noticed, you know, have you noticed in the AFL app now, when there's a sub, it'll say sub-tactical or sub-injured? Yes. I never used to do kind that. Of, I, I, I did notice that. Yeah. yeah, a few weeks ago. Big fan. Thank you, Champion Data. Well, Is that done. right? Yeah. So we do you try- get told? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we we try we live. We try to do best guess, but yep. then we actually go down to the clubs and and double check. So it might not it might sit there for the fourth quarter and be tactical, and then by post match within five minutes of the game we might change it to injured once we speak to someone. But yeah, tracking the two reasons you're making yeah. subs. I like that. What was Ben Cunnington on the weekend? You know, I uh, I don't remember to be honest. Okay, but uh, I'm guessing tactical. Tactical. <laughs> 
been subbed twice now. I'm yeah, sure, both yeah, I, tactically. Yeah, playing a lot of lot less game time than he has in previous. Yeah, I mean, even at his fit. even at his best, I mean, Ben Cunnington wasn't the the greatest mover. Speaking of, he's probably the opposite. The of, yeah, of of those sort of players. But we he was consistently playing 82, 85. But he was a fantastic ball winning contested one. clearance player at his yeah. best. He was one of the best in the in the comp. I mean, now uh, it looks like it's sort of gone past him a little bit, but. Back happens. to his best. Uh, the one telling stat from every game we've talked a bit about Carlton and Brisbane and what uh, we've done that to death really. Oh, let's um, give that. Let's give the Blues a rest. There's, there's a few. <laughs> a few games I'm really wishing we could skip over. Richmond West Coast. A bit of a that burn, was shocking. Burn the oh, I'm sorry, punch. but that. I, you know, Richmond was my flag tip at the start of the year, and that was the roughest watch to half time. <laughs> Just thinking, what did I see in these guys? Really disappointing. And if it wasn't for Bolton, you know, his, his best game of the year. Who knows? I mean, they, that, that's the kind of game that if it's... The longer it stays close... It was what we saw with Gold Coast and Melbourne. The longer it, you, you stay close, you start to worry your opposition who's more f- fancy to win. And Richmond was a short price favourite to win that game. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I know the margin. People look at the margins and think, you know, they won comfortably, but it wasn't as easy as that. Bit of a hand, uh, an arm wrestle. What did the stats tell us? So, again, if you... Uh, Sort of a common case across this round, I think all nine top-ranked teams beat the lower-ranked teams across each game. So I've sort of come out of this weekend thinking you can't make any grand sweeping statements based on this week's mm. this week's results. But for Richmond, the one thing that's been missing in their game is points from forward half intercepts. So being able to win the ball back in their forward half from turnovers and being able to score. Uh, they've been top two or three in that since 2017 every year. They were 18th um, coming into this game. Uh, ended up scoring 37 points from forward half intercepts, which is back to where, that, you know, sort of slightly higher than they were averaging in their premiership year. They're most in a game this year. They're still ranked 18th, so they've, they've caught up to Hawthorne a little bit for total points um, scored from forward half intercepts. Oh, but <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a step one for Richmond to get their game back on ta- on track. That's that's probably step one for them, and they showed it on the weekend. Crazy thing with Richmond isn't, you know, for as down as I am about them, and if I could change my, my pick, I probably would. But someone asked me, should they be giving up on the season? We're a third of the way through... They're a game and a half out. Like, it's not crazy. Like, obviously, the Richmond that we're looking at right now, a lot's got to a lot's got to change. But with stranger things have happened, and it's certainly not they're certainly not out of the finals equation right now with two thirds of the season to play and a number of significant players to come back into the team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Cats and the Crows was an interesting one. Never really blew out to a big margin. So the mm. Crows were. I think that was the they test that around. I was looking for. Yeah. It's always a tough ask to go down to GMHBA. Cats in form. I think they get a pass though, the Crows. Well, yeah. I, I set it at three. I think it's a three-goal margin down at GMHBA. Sort of a head start I give Geelong, and that was the margin in the end. So I'm like, yeah, that was probably a good result for Adelaide. Yeah, I've, I've taken nothing. I've, mm. My opinion of Adelaide has not been lessened for that loss uh, whatsoever. Um, I think they were really impressive. And, and look, they're going to be a side that is probably now, you look at where the ladder sits and everything, they're probably one of those sides that are going to be fighting for that spot, sort of maybe 7th, 8th, you think, come the end of the year. Yeah, they're, they're you know, like we said about Carlton, I think they are a mid-table team. Yep, absolutely. What are the, uh, what was the noticeable? Uh, again, so talking about the stadium, so GMHBA, just how much Geelong is able to control that ground and the space on that ground and sort of uh, hem the ball into their forward line and not let you out. So Adelaide kicked 13 points from defensive half chains, which is the second fewest of any side for the round. Um, so couldn't get it out of their back half down to the other end. And Geelong scored 70 points from forward half chains. So that's them getting the initial ball forward. Adelaide win it back or there's a stoppage or something and Geelong was sort of able to pile on 90 points from starting in their forward half. So down at GMHBA, once you sort of concede an inside 50 or an inside 60 to Geelong you're a long, long way from your own goal. It's very, very hard to get the ball back It seems easier there. to choke teams on such a narrow ground. If, if you can kind of, especially maybe from kickouts or from like, you know, stoppage deep in a defensive 50, you, you're right. It's so easy to just have bodies around the foot yeah. and around the drop zone that it's I hard get to get that, it out of there. I get that they're there every week um, or, you know, training there and they play there, you know, far more than any other team. But it, it still surprises me. We've known this and we've talked about this for years. The ground's narrow, the way they play. And it's just like, Teams go there, and it's like can't you know, do anything about it. Of course you know it. it, but you're still finding that teams that go down there and who don't play there that often are kicking the ball out on the floor a lot. Mm. Like I, I, without knowing the stats, and, and I'm throwing you yeah, under the bus no, here. But I haven't had a good look. I, I, but I, it is. I, it's definitely. I did more. look. I remember looking four or five years ago, and, and GMHB was third or something. So okay. again, it might have changed in recent times. But it is. It's. It is such a unique ground in terms of the width of it that it's a strong team playing on such a unique ground. You're just you're behind the eight ball every mm. time you're down there. Um. 
when Darcy McPherson was lining up, Gold Coast and Melbourne, what were your initial thoughts? Yes, no, kicking it, not kicking it? I, I mean, it sounds easy to say now, but I wasn't overly confident, I must say. Okay. Um, wasn't like last year Noah Anderson lining up after the siren against the Tigers. I don't know. He didn't look... Did he look confident to you? No, he didn't. It was probably... The distance that he was out would mm. be like he's sacrificing maybe his his. He was most... just a bit. He, you'd yeah. love him to be swinging two the or leg three a little meters closer. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it was a. I really enjoyed that game. It's probably my favorite game to watch of the weekend. It was a good one. Bit um, of an escape for the D's, I think. That yeah. could have been a real danger loss there, and it would have probably. And you you talk about the Suns this week in the round in the round table column. Um. What do we got these days? The debate club column. Mm about how Stuart Jews is still under pressure because they just can't find a way to win tighter games like this. Yeah. And they probably could be, what, 4-4 four and four if they'd uh, won this? Yeah, they would have been 4-4. Four and four. But also, I mean, I'm not not criticising Stuart Jew for losing to Melbourne by five points. Uh, look, they played well. I think that was probably their best performance of the year. They, they played really well. Could have easily have won the game. Look, let's be honest. Melbourne didn't play that well. Mel- I think a lot of key areas will tell you Melbourne was one of their poorer games. And Gold Coast had... The high pressure numbers as well. Yeah, so that's I think that was to me. Gold Coast were really won the game inside, so they were plus twenty two contested possessions, mm. uh, plus seven clearances. Sort of uh, did pretty well on the pressure. That's got to be well. pretty rare for the D's. Uh, yeah, exactly that. And that again talked about Carlton and their strength. Melbourne have been the number one contested possession side, so that was clearly what Gold Coast, you know, starting point for them was let's get the answer to the ball first and try to smash them. And they and it was a four quarter effort. They were continuously just better than them in inside, but. If you look at, we sort of talked about turnovers, um, and we got sort of two types of turnovers. There's a takeaway turnover, which basically means you've kicked the ball to a contest and the other team's been able to win a really good contest to win it back. So it's not necessarily the ball user's fault. Then we have a giveaway turnover, which is basically you're under very low pressure and you've turned it straight over the opposition. So it's usually going to be a kick clanger, some freeze against and things that you didn't need to give away. So certain things like that are, are sort of giveaway turnovers. Um, so in the midfield alone, Gold Coast had 37 uh, giveaway turnovers. Melbourne had 17. And if you look at it in the relative defensive halves, Gold Coast turned it over 20 times. They gave it away in their defensive half to Melbourne's 10. So it's just that composure mm. of the experienced side. Gold Coast did everything right. It's just a few little decisions or executions yeah. that they got wrong. Uh, Giants played the Bulldogs in Canberra. No game in Sydney this week. We've talked about this. We talked about this on the podcast last week or do we rush over this because I'm pretty sure because that was magic round right for the so there was no NRL in Sydney and there was no Swans in Sydney and there was weird. no Giants in Sydney bit weird that is a bit strange a scheduling it? faux pas yeah. yeah a bit of a do you reckon do you reckon that's an oversight or do you reckon there's an, a reason behind it I have a feeling it's an oversight but the, the strange thing is the NRL fixture came out earlier than the well NFL that's ex- exactly so that's one of my point it's like I feel like it was Andrew Dillon too, come on it's <laughs> it's too obvious to Say, oh, they missed it. It's like there's got to be something we're not we're not seeing here, but maybe not. Maybe uh, dogs. You talk about slingshot footy, but they really do like to sit back and and let the opposition come at them and then rebound. Yeah. Uh, and it was that was the key to the game was absorb, absorb, absorb. So plus uh, thirteen minutes fifty time in forward half um, differential for GWS. So they had it in their in their ball in their half almost half a quarter more across the game. Um, plus 11 for inside 50s. But again, that's where the dogs were able to generate all their scores. 36% of the dogs' scores came from back 50 chains. So they were almost happy for Giants to sort of go forward. They didn't have Toby Green in there. Um, it was a wet night, so it was hard for them to score. But again, to well, not so much a wet night, a cold and sort of uh, slippery night. night. To be able to go end-to-end as much as they did and sort of generate scores from the back 50. Again, you talk about you probably don't want to go out and plan to play that way. You don't want to plan to score all your points from the back 50. But if you are if you are under the pump and getting beaten in time in forward half and territory, it's always nice to know, okay, at least we were able to get it out there and put some score on the scoreboard and get the four points. Given the conditions and you look at some of the key stats, you'd think if you're the team getting more inside 50s like the Giants was, um, they'd probably win the game because that's you know it might get locked in there. But they just couldn't convert their opportunities going inside 50 as yeah, well. Yeah, and it was sometimes I think they went in there with with uh, just scrappy entries and sort of Shallow a lot looks. of bodies in there because it was just those... And we talked about how nearly every repeat entry, you're less less likely to score. So if you have two or three entries in a, in a row, you've got more and more bodies just continually getting back there. But yeah, they scored from uh, 37% of their entries, which is their second lowest in any game this year. So just couldn't get their forward line functioning. 
Frio got their forward line functioning. Uh, good spread of goal kickers. Maybe the answer that we've, we've found is they've just got to play Hawthorne every week, Jake. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's what we are saying about Carlton uh, last week against the Eagles. Like, yeah, a bit of Carlton against the Eagles, Richmond against the Eagles, and now sort of a little bit of Frio against Hawthorne. Yeah, we talked about, you know, they, they just didn't have the potent attack and the, and the goal kickers. They had 11 individual goal kickers, so almost half the guys that played uh, got a goal to their name. But... Looking at the sort of three areas of the game that you sort of probably want to win, you want to be a bit, you want to be able to get the ball first, use it better, and then if you don't have the ball, tackle better. So, Frio were plus twenty for contested possession, so they won the ball first, uh, plus seven percent for kicking efficiency, which is a pretty big differential yeah. between two teams. So they used the ball much better, and they were plus nine for tackles. So, again, we looked at that. If you win, if you win all three of those stats, uh, I think you've won fourteen of the past fifteen games that teams that have won those three stats have won the game. The one that didn't win was Carlton round six, and we spoke about how much more of the ball they won the contested possession. They only had one more tackle than St Kilda, so they only slightly mm-hmm. won the tackles. Um, but yeah, so again, Frio sort of had that, the, what we call three-way footy down pat. They were able to get the ball first, use it better, and then tackle harder. Talked about Port Adelaide and Essendon a little bit earlier, but that really was the theme, just Port really costly early with some of their looks at goal, uh, and then Essendon late after being so accurate all, all day. Yeah, it was. it was. It was... It, it was amazing when you sort of look at a whole synopsis of that game. The, my final word for that game is Essendon cost themselves with inaccuracy, which sort of doesn't make sense when you look at the final scoreline, but it, was, it wasn't It was until the last 10 minutes. I think they kicked one goal four or one goal five in the final quarter. Well, they were 10-1, they finished 13-9. And, and were missing the ones that they were getting in the first three quarters. But as I said with GWS... Version to the mean. Sort of said GWS, 13 minutes in their time in forward half, how much of a smashing that is. It was plus 24 minutes and 53 seconds for Port Adelaide. So it was pretty much down one end for a lot of the game. It was just, and we spoke about it with the expected scores as well. That could have been a 40, 50 point victory for Port Adelaide. It was much closer because of the inaccuracy. Just looking at the uh, stat sheet for this pay, for this game, um, Zach Merritt did, did, could, couldn't quite get that quadruple double we are talking about with uh, with Dunkley earlier. So You're going to be on 16 quadruple kicks, double. 12 handballs, 10 tackles. You've got three of them. Just the two marks, though. <laughs> just, a, just a lowly triple double instead. <laughs> uh, the Swans and the Pies. Uh, we've mentioned this game a bit as well. Bit of a tight tussle for, for, for two and a bit quarters. Swans really missed some opportunities there. I really thought they could have... Wow. Sent a bit of worry through the Collingwood ranks, mm. uh, and then forced them to produce a fourth. They quarter. had a they had a bit of a run, and I th- and I actually start to think I can get a, feel like they can win this game, but again, Collingwood they just keep doing it. I, it's what do you say it, it, when you keep seeing something when something continues to happen? You've just got to say, well, it's a trend, and there's a reason for it. It's not it's not fluky or anything like that. And it is. It's just they. Again, we talk about, and coaches would do a game situations. I feel like Collingwood just have the same. It's, it's take the game on. No matter what the situation is, just do what we do best. So there's mm-hmm. no bottling up the game. There's no, let's take some heat off and kick backwards for a while. It's just, it's go to woe. So which is good when, you, when you're behind, you're always mm-hmm. giving yourself a chance. But one of the big things from that game was just Collingwood's ability to sort of defend clearances. So we sort of talked about, you know, three ways to score. He scored from intercepts, he scored from clearances, he scored from kick-ins. So clearances, usually you get about three or four goals a game. Um, from those, Sydney scored one behind from their 30 clearances across the game, and that was from a centre bounce clearance. So all the ball ups and throw ins, they were just not able to generate anything from that. that in, that's including, you know, the couple that they had in their forward 50. They weren't able to score from any of those. Do, so, do, do, do footy fans and media overrate clearances? Oh, I don't know. They're worth looking at, but again, they're just, again, a clearance. And a lot of the commentators will say it. A clearance is just that initial got it away from the stoppage. You've got to look at clear, which we do have clearance efficiency. So you can have a kick clanger that mm. is a clearance and you've turned the ball over and, and won it's a clearance. It's just one of those so, stats that never really seems to line yeah. up with... Um, so one of the, again, two ways to look at it for for clubs is they look at the scoring rate is one, but they also look at what we call reply meter, like just net meters gain. So if we win a clearance, we want to get it. If we win a clearance in our back 50, we want to gain 90 meters before the next stoppage. But if we turn it over, we don't want to concede 110 metres going the other way and the ball gets kicked over our head. So a lot of it is to do with what the return of your clearance as well is what clubs are looking at. Uh, St Kilda, North Melbourne. Bit of a tough watch. Uh, uh, we one, 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 well, shortest game of the year. Uh, shortest since 2016. Mercifully. And thank God. Yeah. <laughs> because, so, so, so is that just because there were no goals or fewer stoppages yeah, as well? Stoppages. I, I worked on that game. Um, mm, being a Sunday boy. afternoon... I actually enjoyed it because you just, as, as a work shift, I thought, bring it on. Just rem- kicking sideways. I'm not going to have to double-check stoppages. None of the quarters went over 30 minutes. It was just an easy game to work on. That That's- reminded me of something in the Geelong-Adelaide game. I actually thought in the first quarter, 
maybe it was the first half of the first quarter. That's going to be the most throw-ins I've ever seen in a 10-minute space of football. I thought, this, is, this game is going to go forever. The amount of throw-ins. I didn't realise that. That was the shortest game. So yeah. quite comfortably, too, this by, by this round. So 12 minutes shorter than any other game this round. That's that's quite a well, lot. Well, I guess you, it's, it's a minute every time you kick a goal, right? Well, yeah, yeah. people take about that. Yeah, and yeah just Well, remember the, we're talking the about this because they changed it. It was 45 yeah. seconds, then it was 65 seconds. And I now... saw some calls on Twitter, like just people calling it the worst game for the year, the worst game of all time, all this sort of stuff. But... There's still like, uh, and I heard this on another podcast, and it reminded me of it because I remember I was watching this at the time. Like Hawthorne St Kilda back in like 2007, and it was a rainy day at the MCG. Uh, and who were the coaches in those games? Ooh, was Same it two. was it Ross, Ross Lyon it? in 2007 at the Saints? I might have gotten no, this wrong. I'm... But anyway, yeah, he might have been Clarko. Yeah, he, and yeah, he was at the Saints in 07, Yeah, so the same two coaches going at it, uh, and also produced one of the most I, boring, and then games I've ever seen. On top of that, again, the city, <laughs> the, the city give me tongue in cheek. That was also the game where we had the three umpires. It was almost like the umpires and the coaches all got together and Just thought, "There's not enough of us today to sort of actually don't don't keep the game too fast because there's only three of us out there officiating." And Clarkson and Lyon just look at each other going. We know where our clubs are at. Let's just go out there and waste the next hundred minutes. I remember minutes. going to a game at the MCG in the oh, like the early two thousands when I was a yeah teenager with a couple of friends, and that was um, that was Melbourne Frio in the rain at the G, and there were like eleven thousand people there. Great, great crowd for a rugby game, but uh, yeah, not great. <laughs> Good crowd to be getting a, a beer or a uh, sort of hot pie uh, or something like that. Well, no lines, said, not eighteen. Uh, yes, fair <laughs> uh, we're getting into a red time on this podcast proudly brought to you by Subway which means it's time for is the hype justified or is it hyperbole Jake mm. we've got a double header Friday night this week is that the way to go looking forward having two Friday nights one in Melbourne one in Perth no it's not I don't like I don't like it I like having the one game on Friday because the, well, there's two issues here Having the having the doubleheader on the Friday night means you don't have a game on Thursday. I much prefer having a game Thursday night and a game Friday night. The other part of it, which annoys me, is you, they overlap. And there's no way of having them not overlap unless you start one super early, um, which they're not going to do, especially on the East Coast, because then people complain that they can't get there after work and stuff like that. And the other thing is, like, it's by the time the game over in WA finishes, it's that it would be midnight if they don't overlap. So... I don't like it. I would be. I would much prefer a Thursday night game and a Friday night game, and I take that every week. And mm. I don't know if I know people were critical of Monday games when that sort of started. Obviously, Monday night football is a big thing in in the US uh, in the NFL. Don't think it works here as well. Um, but I think a lot of people here love the idea of a Thursday night game each week. Feels like it really you know extend that weekend and you, you spread the games out more, which I enjoy because. Um, Bloody hard to watch five games on a Saturday or three on a Sunday. So there's no three twenty p.m. Sunday game this no, week. No, and I think that's part of that is Mother's Day Sunday. Good so point, yep. um, yeah, I I I think the crowds generally are a bit lower on Mother's Day. Yeah. So probably makes sense that there's just the two games instead of the, the traditional three. On the other Sunday. the other footnote to this is it's going to be Gold Coast's first Friday night match. Yeah. In Perth. I mean, they deserve they deserve one. They should have one. I mean, it, it's not a, it's not a Friday night game if it's not on free to air though, is it? It's it's Friday it's night because Friday. it's being played on Friday night. But this isn't a this isn't their first night on Friday night footy. Friday night footy is the Channel Seven. Yeah, so the seven game will so be the Cats risk. Tigers before beforehand. Okay. Yeah, and then this one will start about half time, I think. Okay, fair enough. Um, but it's a Friday night game. Uh, Christian Port Adelaide is a Premiership contender. Yeah, they're getting there. So um, last five weeks, again, just a quick sort of summary of their premiership standard. Uh, Defence is sort of their, you know, their, actually the surprising thing that's, you know, their, their tick, but their scoring is still, and again, that might be a little bit to do with accuracy. They're still sort of ninth and 10th. You need to be sort of top six in your scoring as well. So that's the one area that they haven't quite uh, got quite right. But the last five rounds there, yeah, as I said, their, their premiership standards is starting to take shape nicely. How tenable is Ken Hinckley's? No, oh, he's very tenable. <laughs> Um, I, I must say though, I'm, I am a bit worried about Ollie Wines. The, his sort of drop off. I know he doesn't need to be play at his Brownlow medal level now that they've got guys like Connor Rosie 
Uh, Zach Butt is playing really well. I'm but a funny I, one. It's almost like a. Po- I know you never want to see a champion of the game sort of peter out, and I don't think he is that bad. But it's almost like that's a positive for Port that he was such. He he carried him on the back as an inside yeah. player for so long. That it's a different dynamic in their but midfield still, now. Yeah, but he's and still the inside player. But he doesn't look as fit as he has been in the past. He's spending a lot more time on the bench. Um, he's not. He he's a, he's a fumbly player now. Seems to fumble the ball a bit more. He's just not. Just doesn't look anywhere near the player, and maybe he'll get back to it. I know he's. I did read something that he was sort of uh, nursing a bit of an injury, um, but I don't know. Maybe he'll get back to, or you know, if he's if he's eighty percent of the level he was at um, at his best, it's a very good midfield. I think people. I don't think people quite expected Rosie to be the consistent great player he's been in the midfield. And Zach Butters, I was just saying before we start, I reckon you were twelve months early on your Butters prediction from last year that he'd win every award. I mean, he he's looking. He's been one of the form players of the comp this year. Yeah, uh, Jake. Last one for you before we wrap things up. The 2019 draft class will be the best we've ever seen. <sighs> I, I still don't know so how to far. answer this. Um, I th- I honestly believe that at this point, this f- this far into the 2019 draft class. So what have we seen? We've seen 20, 21, 22, and a bit of 23, and and really we had with the shortened season we had. We've really only seen three years worth of games. I, I honestly think the top 10 to 15 players of the 2019 draft class are ahead of the top 15 players of the 2001 draft class after that same period of time. Now, obviously, we look back on 2001 and we see all these all-time greats. But were they all... Some of these guys... Like we look at Caleb Sarong, Chad Warner, Noah Anderson. Like They're all making claims that they're the best player on their team right now. Yeah. Like... I don't think we were seeing that. I know Chris Judd won a Brownlow in 2004, so, you know, you could certainly make the case with him. But how many others were really make, staking the claim to be the best player on their team that early? That's the most impressive part, in my opinion. Well, let's go through some of the names from 01. So Luke Hodge, Luke Ball, Chris Judd, um, Jimmy Bartell was there, Sam Power was there, uh, James Kelly was there, Jason Graham, Steve Johnson... Um, who else we got? Lee here? Montagna, obviously Sam Garrett, Mitchell. Gary Ablett Jr., Father yep. Son. I mean, there's guns Jared everywhere. Wait. Yeah, there's a, a few, a few pretty decent. Dane Swan, fifty-eight. Yeah, he was a late pick. So there, there, obviously a lot of guns there. You know, a heap of Brownlow medalists, and I think most people would say that that is the best draft ever. Like that's the best draft class ever. Yeah. Um. So will 2019 usurp it? Tough question. Uh, probably. Probably not prepared to say yes, but I, I honestly believe that at this point, after three seasons worth, I, I could certainly make the case that the top 10 to 15 players are ahead of where the top 10 to 15 were of that draft class in sort of 2000 and, that 2004 range. It's such a, yeah, so hard. I mean, even just, you just pluck the four names from 01, you know, Judd, Hodge, Ablett and Swan, all coming from the, you know, they weren't the top four picks or anything, but those four guys and the legacy they left on the mm. competition, it's... But, but again, but who, but how again, do we when, know what the legacy that like, some of these guys? That's why are I think leave. I think I'm leaning with you. I think top top line 01 is in front. The top five or six players from that draft are in front. Not saying that the 19 draft couldn't catch them. But if you're looking at the top 20 as a whole, I think mm. 2019 would have in, more talent in their top 20. Yeah, Tom Tom Green's another one. He he's he certainly mate. Look at the game. He's 38 and three. There's there's Will Day, who I know you're really high on. There's you, there's four or five guys in this that have barely played 50 games. That are like already making a case that they're the best player on their team. Agree with Jake? Disagree with Jake? Let him know on Twitter at jmichaelsespn. Oh, I'm sure they will. Tweet us at Footy Tips. Uh, that's going to do us, I think, for this week. Yeah. Um, good stuff. We'll speak to you next week, Jake. Christian, thanks for joining us as always. To everyone at home, we'll speak to you in the next episode. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.